It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Welcome to another episode of Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we are helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. My name is Mike Bernard. Thanks for being with us. I am your host, as well as one of the certified financial planners on the show, with my friends and colleagues and business partners, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. You know, one of the most complicated and, and often overlooked topics in your financial life is your estate plan. And it's probably because it's a hard issue to cover. There's a lot of complicated decisions that you have to make. They're tough decisions. So on today's show, we're going to give you the questions that need answers so you can have an estate plan you're proud of. That's right. I'm going to invite you to participate in the show right now. You can reach out to us, call or text 574-222-2000. That's 574-222-2000. 222-2000. Again, you can text or call if you have any questions. We'll hit it on an upcoming show if you need help. You can also reach out to us that way as well. Online, wisemoneyradio.com. You can submit a question, a comment, a need right there on the right. Also, right in the middle of that page, you can catch up on all the previous episodes, even check out the blog and other things on that website. Lastly, all over social media, you can reach out to us, you can participate in the show, you can even watch previous episodes on the YouTube channel, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, at Wise Money Radio. Like Josh said, the capstone to any great financial plan is making great decisions about what happens to your stuff, if you will, if something happens to you. That's right, I'm talking about your estate plan and that provides the instructions on where your stuff, your things, your assets go if something happens to you, but it also is a format for how to provide for your health and finances if you're still alive but unable to. And this is unable to manage your own affairs. This in particular, We're going through this series about the tough decisions you need to make. My wife, Cindy, and I, it took us a long time to get our estate plan in order simply because the decisions we needed to make were so heavy. And we're going to kick it off with that first decision. And that is the one that tripped us up was, all right, who's going to play what role in the estate plan? That's a big decision. And you've got several of those in there. So... How do you figure that out? Let's first, Josh, start with just framing what is the estate plan? What is your estate plan? Yeah, I mean, we're talking about a series of documents and decisions that you make, arrangements that you make that um, basically are authorizing other people to carry out wishes for you, as you said, when you can no longer do it for you because you've either passed away or you're incapacitated or something. And I I think it's important to recognize also that we're all falling somewhere on a continuum of complexity. When you first get married or you're starting out in life, maybe your life is pretty simple and you don't need to overcomplicate it with too many dramatic decisions or, or documents that you put in place. But as you get further into life, as you accumulate more things, the complexity level goes up and sometimes your estate plan needs to uh, be adjusted a- accordingly. You have more things you're trying to accomplish with the estate plan. Mm-hmm. But most people's minds go to the first document that I would highlight in a basic estate plan, and that is 
your last will and testament. Mm-hmm. We just call it a will, right? But I'm specifically calling it your last will and testament because there's another document that can be kind of confusing. It has will in the name as, as well. Um, but your, your last will and testament, the whole purpose of this is to lay out your instructions for the things that go into your estate, yep. if anything does. When you pass away, who do you want to receive the stuff that's left behind. So the will is a critical document, and depending on where you fall on that spectrum of complexity, it's going to be one of the key parts, or it's just going to be a facilitator. Um, but the again, we're talking about the most important decisions. The decision right here is not whether to get a will or not. Right. The, the tough decision is who do you list as responsible in the will and who gets what within the will it's not a choice of whether you need one or not. Some of these others, well, I'd I'd say the same thing, actually. Well, okay, so let's get specific about what those decisions are. Uh, To me, one of the most important ones that will affect some of you listening is who's going to take care of the kids if you and your spouse are both gone? If both parents are no longer available to raise the kids, what's plan B here? Yeah, in the will, you list the guardian for any minor children that you have. So that's a critical decision you need to make. And I know it's never going to happen to you. But what if it does? Are you prepared? And have you done the proactive steps of making sure that the kids are provided for um, and cared for by the person that you would select? Yeah, and I would tell you, this is one of the things that can slow people up or even prevent them from getting it done. So I would, I don't know, I thought of a slogan, that would could be a marketing thing, but just do it. I don't know what you guys <laughs> think about that. It's catchy. But I say, well, just That's do catchy. it. I mean, you you might be sitting there and, and going through listing every family member and say, I'd never let them have my kids. I'd never let my kids <laughs> yeah. be in their possession for right. more than three hours. Ne- <laughs> and so all of a sudden you think, well, man, it's kind of slim pickings here with who do I have to pick. Listen, it's better to have n- picked. It's really a nomination. Nominate somebody rather than nominate Nobody. Yes. That's right. Because yeah. and and my my philosophy on this, if you get this work done and if you have a will, you're not going to die. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah, it seems as though it's ju- the the people with with young kids that die are the are the ones that don't have the will. Well, so that decision, who's going to take care of the kids, seems like the one that has the highest stakes to it, right? I mean, it's formulating a plan on who's going to steer your kids' lives until they're adults on their own. But it's not the only decision. You know, the the question that applies to everybody in a will is who's going to be the recipient of the things that um, you're you're leaving behind? Who are your beneficiaries or your heirs? Um, Another decision is who's going to be handling all of those affairs when you pass away. We have traditionally called this person an executor. These days they're called a personal representative in in most wills. You're basically trusting someone to do a bunch of administrative work on your behalf. You want to choose wisely so that you're not leaving too much work behind or or an inconvenience to someone who's too far out of town or, or something like that. But it's one of the decisions that you have to make. One of the decisions that you don't have to make that's already made for you is what's going to go through your will. Hmm. So what is going to go through your will is an individually owned asset without a named beneficiary. Mm -hmm. So if I own something individually and haven't um, put – so for instance, if I have a bank account, if I have a bank account, I can put a a payable on death or a transfer on death and say – 
Joshua is my beneficiary. When I die, this account goes to Joshua. And then it would not pass through my will. It would go right to Joshua. But the th- whatever assets that I may have, it could be a house, it could be uh, an investment account, um, it could be shares of stock that my grandpa left to me that are in my name alone. Those things will pass through my will if I own them individually. Another decision that you will probably have to make at this time, I, I was meeting with a younger couple recently, 45, and they never had an estate plan. And so we talked. We were talking about goals, and one of the goals was getting an estate plan set up this year. And they've got young kids, so yeah, it's time. It's actually overtime. But again, these are hard decisions to make. And so when you bump up against that, you usually just don't make that decision. And we were talking, and I just taught the whole thing that Josh. We've kind of interrupted Josh from from teaching this, and he said, "Okay, um, when I list out who gets what, I mean, do I have to list every gun? Do I have to list?" all of my stuff, that would be really long. It is a genuine question. And and you might have that question as well. And for a lot of personal property, so guns or heirlooms or, or so on, I would make a list. And if you call LeDuc Kern and Keen, talk to Mark Crenitti, he's going to tell you the same thing. Make a list as an addendum to your will and just list out the stuff of special importance to you and say who you want to get it. If you don't, all that personal property, if your stuff gets split among the kids, then they're going to choose who gets the china, who gets the guns. I know which one of those I'd pick. Um, the china. <laughs> uh, so, but, but if you have special things that you want to make sure are directed to the right people, maybe a, a, an extended family member or something like that, you just make an addendum and put it with your will. You don't have to actually put all of that and list it all out in this will and make it, you know, 30 pages long with pictures and all that sort of Who stuff. Who are you leaving your Beanie Baby collection <laughs> to, by the way? Josh, have you, you selected? You weren't supposed to talk about that. Oh. One of the big decisions I you need... I want the burger baskets. <laughs> <laughs> One of the big decisions that you need to make is if something does happen to you and you have minor kids, when will they get the money? We've got that and more coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. If you have minor children, or even if you don't, and you pass away right now and they inherited a significant amount of money, would they have the skill, character, and maturity to handle it? Should you put special instructions in your estate plan or position your assets in such a way to still have them be blessed by your hard work and saving up, but not in a way where it can damage himself? That is what we are talking about today. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard. Across from me, Kevin Corhorn. Between us, Josh Gregory coming to you from the KFG Studios Special thanks to the attorneys at Ledoux, Kern, and Keene. In fact, we're talking about estate planning. If you need estate planning or any legal work, Ledoux, Kern, and Keene, they are fantastic. Reach out to them. Also, sponsoring the show, First State Bank. Thank you very much. If you've missed anything so far, we are talking about some heavy, heavy stuff. And over, over break... If you want to catch up on the dialogue, uh, follow us on YouTube, and I would just subscribe to it as well. Had a very in-depth conversation with Casey. I think we're going to try and bring some of that up here uh, in this segment, but this is tough stuff 
talking about the estate plan and it gets very messy whether it's greed or grief i don't really know if it matters much it gets very messy so follow the show on youtube on the youtube channel at wise money radio it's also facebook twitter wisemoneyradio.com and lastly if you have questions or really need help in this area as well 574-222-2000 that's 574-222-2000. You know, in that first segment, we were talking about some of those really hard decisions that get people bogged down with getting their estate plan in place. One of the, the infamous ones is who's going to take care of the kids if you were to pass away. That's a decision you make with your will. And it's often the one that stops people from making progress. Yep. And y- you know that we are always talking about how you need to be working with a certified financial planner. And this is one of the places where a certified financial planner is just different than many other financial professionals out there because they are going to walk you through the financial planning process, which is going to lead to these types of decisions. And they're not going to let you just put it on the back burner and leave it there forever. You know, if if your only purpose for talking to a financial professional is to talk about investments or to get your taxes prepared, then this could be a topic that maybe they throw out there and say, hey, you you ought to cover this, but then it's off their radar screen. They're not going to follow up and hold you accountable to work all the way through the hard decisions. The other really important thing, that the perspective and the work that a certified financial planner is going to bring to this that's different than other professionals, and we've talked about this a lot of times with other financial items, is you get a will and you think, I'm done, Mm -hmm. right? And just like with getting your taxes prepared, okay, taxes, check. Or I've signed up for the 401k via auto enrollment, check. No, who's tying it all together? If you just have a will, now we've just kind of taught that as well as what the big decisions you need to make there are, you are missing out on a lot. Josh, why don't you lead us through those next few documents and some of the choices that you've got to make in those areas. Yeah, even the most basic estate plan should have this second document in place, and that's the power of attorney. And I'm referring to a financial power of attorney in particular. Sometimes it's called a durable power of attorney. But the whole purpose of this document is to grant authority to someone else that you trust to make financial or legal decisions for you when you can't make them yourself. We live in a very, very interesting time. It used to be that family meant something. There was a local banker who you would see at the grocery store. And so if someone was in the hospital, likely everyone in the neighborhood knew it. And if you needed to go do something on their behalf, it was just, it was a community. And so you didn't have all the legal red tape. Not anymore. Not anymore. The, and, and someday we'll look back on these times and say these were the good old days. Well, I look back on those times. Those were the good old days because right now you need to have these legal instructions in place in order to do anything, even on behalf of your spouse, especially a child. And I think one of the considerations is how is this set up? Because I, my personal preference is that if you have a spouse, that that would be effective immediately because it can be effective immediately or it can be effective at your incapacitation. So there's a risk if you you have a power of attorney set up and it's effective immediately, that person could take all your money and all your properties in the cosmic game of Monopoly. And so 
you know, in my situation, my wife, power of attorney, immediately. And I just, you know, I made a small request. I said, honey, if you ever take all the money, will you please just take the kids too? Um, but, <laughs> but I do think it's very, it's a, it's a very important consideration to say, who is the person that I can trust? Because we were just working with some folks and they had gotten their estate plan done back in 2004. And in my mind, they had just gotten it done, mm-hmm. but they hadn't, right? This is what happens uh, as we get older. We, you know, uh, you know, is it 14 years or is it four days? I, I can't remember. But they, the situation was he's now incapacitated. Mm-hmm. She couldn't immediately take action because the, the power of attorney went into effect at his incapacitation. And you say, well, wait a minute, he's incapacitated. Well, he is incapacitated once we've got two different doctors stating, hey, this, and and there were a number of other hoops to jump through at a time where emotionally you feel like, oh no, this is the last thing I want to be dealing with. Yeah, in many cases you just can't. You just, Emotionally, you just can't do it. And if it's if it's springing is what they call that at someone's incapacitation, then you've got to get those doctor's notes. And I know some of you right now, you might be in a relationship where you say, I can't make it immediate. Well, then make it springing. But but the choice here, again, just like the will, it's not whether to get a will or not. And and the choice here is not whether to get a durable power of attorney or not. You need one. Yeah. You need one. In fact, for your son or daughter that you just sent off to college, they need one as well. And that mm-hmm. one should be immediate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and as I was saying, the two doctors' notes saying yes, this person's incapacitated. That's a hassle. That's much less of a hassle than a court-appointed guardianship, right? Yeah. Which is which would be your fallback option. Oh yes, absolutely. So in this decision, you're deciding who do you trust ultimately, and. You know, we're obviously a fan of choosing your spouse first, but then having a second, maybe a third in line who could also step in if uh, as you're aging or as you're incapacitated, uh, maybe your first choice can no longer serve. Um, similar to the durable power of attorney is a health care power of attorney. Uh, these days we refer to this document as an appointment of a health care representative. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some of the terminology has changed over time here, but the, the purpose is very similar. It's to grant authority to someone else that you trust to make medical decisions, to interact with the doctors on your behalf. And you have to grant that authority. Authority. It's not just a given. Even if you are their mom or even if you are their spouse, with HIPAA laws these days, there's a lot of protections over your privacy, but that can actually limit people's ability to come to your rescue and help in a time of need. Sometimes the hospital, the doctor will also want you to fill out their form of the of the appointment of healthcare representative. That's okay. That's okay. But get the legal document in place first because you just don't know. The analogy that I use, and I know this is cold, it's it's hard, but that's the reality of making these decisions. Your spouse is in a coma, and you've got to make a decision on the type of surgery to have. It's a risky surgery. Are you authorized to make to make that choice? Some of you know 
my grandfather was a huge influence on my life. In fact, if I could aspire to be just like someone, it'd be my grandfather. And Kevin, you remember when he passed away. It was shortly mm-hmm. after I started here. And so I'm working hard and I, I, uh, I didn't, you know, they're up in Grand Rapids. I didn't want to take time off, but he had gotten sick and I needed to go see him and, and he passed away that day. And the last conversation I had with my grandfather was three months before that day. We went out to Russ's restaurant in Grand Rapids, great <laughs> restaurant. We had soup, and I talked to him about getting this done because he didn't have an estate plan. And he hadn't appointed who would make decisions. He has two girls, so my mom and my aunt, who would make decisions. And I didn't know. It was our last conversation. I told him all about this, said, Grandpa, you need to do this. And he did. Hmm. And on, and the day that it mattered, had multiple heart attacks, dad rushed him to the hospital, mom then had to make a decision about a surgery or not, and she was authorized to do it, and she's had peace. Mm. We've got a lot more coming up regarding your estate plan, the big choices you need to make. That and more coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike with Josh and Kevin here in the KFG studios. Thank you, Bethel College, Adult and Graduate Studies, as well as Diane Bennett with Remax 100. Very busy right now during the housing season for partnering with us on the Wise Money show. But if you're looking at selling your house or making some changes, reach out to Diane and her team for sure. We've been talking about the most important decisions you need to make in your estate plan. If you've missed anything, if you have questions, if you have needs, there's several ways that I'd invite you to reach out to us. Call or text us 574-222-2000. That's 574-222-2000. You can text or call. That will go right to me. You need to be working with your certified financial planner to get the right documents, write the prescription, and then you'll work with a great attorney like the folks at Ledoux, Kern, and Keene to fill that prescription, okay? If you want to catch up on any on what we talked about earlier this episode, on a previous episode, you can do so on the YouTube channel at Wise Money Radio. You can also do, to, do that online, wisemoneyradio.com. We've been working our way through these big decisions you need to make within your estate plan by talking about the different documents you need in a basic estate plan. We'll get to the little bit more complicated in just a moment, but Josh, let's hit these last couple documents and then the the decisions that flow out of them. Yeah, the third document that we hit uh, previously was the appointment of a healthcare representative. So, uh, you know, the, the decision on who can interact with the doctors. There's also a, a similar form called a HIPAA authorization that basically is is you having on record your permission for the doctors to talk to certain family members or trusted individuals about your situation. HIPAA laws prevent these medical professionals from disclosing anything about your your healthcare situation unless you've given permission now. Yep. And I, I've actually asked doctors, you know, clients um, that we work with, you know, in the real world, how closely do you stick to this rule? Now, they, they hold to it pretty stringently. So it's yep. important to have that document in place. Similar, uh, or, or another document also related to health is end of life type decisions uh, that you make with a living will. Living will is where you get to decide um, if you are no longer uh, capable 
uh, of functioning uh, without the assistance of ventilators and you know ar- artificial um, uh, food or, or uh, nutrition or anything. Um, what do you want to have done? Mm-hmm. This is not a legally binding decision, but it's your way of kind of stating what your wishes are for that healthcare representative. So they don't have the guilt of deciding, you know, do, do we end things or shouldn't we? What would mom or dad want? That is a terrible burden to have. And you're, you're, t- you're at least lifting part of that burden by leaving some of your own wishes in writing for them. Right. And the, the folks that you nominate in, in these uh, documents, you want to make sure that they can carry out your wishes. So you want to uh, talk to them. You want to give them copies, some bonus content uh, we had. You'll find on the YouTube channel we were talking about, well, what if you just leave these documents with just one person? And then greed or grief enters, and they start trying to manipulate or even forge documents. No, you're going to want to have this at your attorney's office. You're going to want to have that probably at your certified financial, not probably, at your certified financial planners, as well as give it to a couple of the people that you have listed as uh, being responsible in a few of these areas so that everyone knows and has clarity. Again, nothing's going to happen, but it might, right? All right, a couple of the big, 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 really big decisions that you need to make, and we're going to talk them into this last explanation, and that is just point blank. Do you need a trust? That's a decision, okay? A certified financial planner should help you with that decision. We'll tell you in just a second. And then second is when, if something tragic happens to you and your spouse, when would you want your kids to get access to the money? Both of those decisions are sort of tucked into an explanation of what is a trust, why would it be appropriate, and so on. So, Josh, why don't you start explaining that? Well, um, there, there's a couple different, well, there's many types of trusts, I guess, but yeah. you can actually have a trust built into your will. That's called a testamentary trust. It doesn't really come into effect until you pass away because the will is what creates it. Or you can create one while you're still living, and that's what we call a revocable living trust. This is probably one of the most common types of trust to, to have in place. And there's a lot of purposes or, or um, you know benefits for having this, but one of them is that it allows you to avoid probate because it doesn't pass through, all those assets don't pass through your will. If, if they're owned by the trust. That's right. Yeah. Um, but it, it's also a way for you to set up provisions for someone else to manage the money that you leave behind for the benefit of the ones that you love and, and are trying to, to care for. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the most notable example would be is if you have children that are not adults or they're, they're not old enough to care for the money and make wise decisions themselves, then you can have a trust own those assets and a competent third party that you do trust manage the money until the time that you say it's okay for them to receive the dollars. Without that, if you pass away, and I know th- this is hard, okay, so just bear, bear with us in the conversation. If you pass away and like Josh, your oldest is 10, Ten-year-old is not going to get a million bucks, but the guardian will have authority to use that money for that ten-year-old, and then as soon as they turn eighteen or whatever the age of majority is in your state, they get all of it. They get all of it, 
And the point with the trust is, I've been saying this lately, I think it's very true, 30 is the new 20. For a lot of people, it's just, we're, we're the, as a society, it's, we're not maturing at the same rate. 18-year-olds used to fight in wars and get married and have, have kids, and now 18-year-olds can't get off their cell phone and sometimes can't get off the couch. And, and, and so it's just different. It's different. And I'm not poking anyone. It's just different. And so it might not be until your child is 30, 35, or 40 until they've got the skill, character, maturity. Kevin, you've even said some people have it at 18. Some people don't have it at 70. Yeah. But the trust is really the only way, a revocable living trust or something like that is really the only way for you to put some stipulations in there. The it's, it's the rule book, right? right? Exactly. And really, when you look at the who, you know, the decisions that are made with the will, who is there? I would encourage you to think about it as two separate decisions. One is who is going to take care of the kids. The other is who is going to take care of the money. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. when the the kid is saying to the guardian, who's Uncle Mike, Uncle Mike, Uncle Mike, you know, Dad said that uh, you know when I turned sixteen, I could have a vet, and and you know. Dad was thinking Chevette, and, <laughs> and the child is thinking Corvette. Yeah. And and I do think, I mean, the problem with unearned money, whether it's from the lottery, whether it's from an inheritance, no matter what the source of unearned money, many times that is a curse, not a blessing. And to a young man, that, um, that can geld the stallion. Um, Josh can talk to you about gelding pigs, and, and but it, it's it, there's there's a, a huge YouTube video. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's a, the, the, there are some issues with that. So I would say make sure you're you're protecting because I've seen and I've seen this up close and personal where someone who's got money in a trust is just waiting for the next five years to pass to get the next distribution and it's kind of in 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 from my observation it's robbed them of their life if you will yeah and there are there are, there's common language in the trust that says the child or the trustee will be able to use this money for the child's health maintenance education and support which is just kind of really for the basic life needs so maybe if that's already in there maybe you just say they get the money at 65 or, or something like that. I mean, that that's something that Cindy and I have kicked around. And so anyway, so how do you know whether you need a trust or not? There's a lot to talk about. One of them is whether you have minor kids, so you can put some of these stipulations on. Another is if you're a snowbird or you have property in two different states is what I'm referring to. I guess that doesn't need to be a snowbird. You could have one in Michigan, one in in Indiana. Mm -hmm. When that happens, if the property is within the trust, it's easier to transfer that as opposed to bringing up probate in both states. There's a few other reasons why you might want that decision to have a trust might be pretty easy. We've got that and a couple great tax questions. One about gifting. Very appropriate to today's discussion. That and more coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. 
Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. If you gift your kids or grandkids money, number one, is that a viable component of your overall estate plan? Second, is it taxable? Is it taxable? We've got that great question from Elaine from Edwardsburg coming up in just a minute. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard, along with Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory from the KFG Studios. If you've missed anything, you can catch up on every previous episode on the YouTube channel. What I do is I subscribe to that, so every time the team has it posted, I get a little notification and I can watch it when I'd like. We are doing enhancements enhancements to that video, putting uh, closed captioning on it and, and other uh, other things. So just search Wise Money Radio on YouTube. You can also find the podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Just search Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Lastly, wisemoneyradio.com has every previous episode right there. You can watch it online. You can submit questions or ask for help right there on wisemoneyradio.com, uh, right there on the right And then finally, since I'm hitting all the tags here, call or text 574-222-2000 if you have questions or have any needs, we'd love to help you. All right, we're wrapping this up and then it is tax season, so we've got a couple great tax questions like Elaine's, but I'm still hung up on this issue of do you need a trust or not? That's sort of a choice, well, it certainly is, but it's also just a recommendation or some advice. So how do you know? How do you know? So Kevin, Josh, what are some additional reasons? You know, some of the the examples that I've seen, you may want to have a trust in place if uh, you are on a second or a third marriage. Um, you know, s- sometimes if you're going to leave money behind to care for that next spouse, but you want to make sure that all the leftovers go to your own kids, a trust can help uh, provide for the spouse's needs, but also dictate that the leftovers will pass down your family tree and not go to a future spouse for them or their kids um, if that's not really what your intentions are. You want to talk about reasons why getting this done is hard. Yeah, blended yeah. family. Blended family, it, it, that immediately will just put a big wedge between you and getting your estate plan done, but you got to do it. Well, uh, if a leader's job is to define reality, the reality is if I've got any complications in my financial life, it's likely that I should be considering a revocable living trust. Mm-hmm. One of the yeah. things that it allows for is privacy. When, when I'm gone, if I've got a trust, it's it's a private matter, what mm-hmm. happened with the stuff that I left behind. If not, and it passes through the will and it's probated, it's a matter of public record and anyone can go look and see what I had. And you can go see what these famous yeah. uh, celebrities had. Elvis, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so... Prince, yep. Well, and you mentioned probate as the... The mechanism that makes all that public, if if you're uh, having assets pass through the will, it also can be an exp- uh, a pretty significant expense. In some counties, it's worse than others. But um, we we talked in the last segment about well, what if you have property in multiple jurisdictions and you have to open multiple probate estates? That can get expensive, and it's an unnecessary expense. It's an unnecessary delay and hassle. That's right. Mm-hmm. And a, a trust allows you to avoid a lot of that. One of the complexities that um, 
came to mind as you were talking, Kevin, is also if if you have a child or a dependent who has any type of special needs, maybe they have some disabilities and, and whatnot, and you want to position assets that it can be managed for their benefit without causing them to lose some of the uh, either government or community benefits that are out there for them, a trust can help do that. Yep. The money is set aside, managed for them without disqualifying them in another area. So once again, you you need your certified financial planner is going to be the one that he's he or she has the right perch view of your entire financial life, and they're in the best position, possibly the only position, to educate you on. Here's what documents would apply or what your situation, um, how, how that would work. Give you advice then, all right, this is what I think you need, and then help serve in getting all of that implemented and in place. Yes, you'll need an attorney to get this done as well. Your certified financial planner should be working with that attorney. So contact your certified financial planner right now if you don't have one you can contact us. We'd love to help as well. We've got a couple tax questions that we've got to hit, both of them. All right. First one, Brady Mishawaka from Mishawaka. That's not his last name. That'd be funny. Uh, Brady from Mishawaka. After the new tax laws, I'm thinking my refund is going to go up by approximately $2,000 a year. I'm used to getting around $2,000 back each year. So now that's going to be four grand. Is that too much? It's a great question, Brady. Kevin, what are your thoughts? Well, I would want to just make sure – well, first of all, thanks for the question, Brady. But I, I want to make sure you're right hmm. because they, it, most people don't look at their pay stubs. I, I'm just going to go out on a limb and, and categorize paint with a broad brush. Most people don't. And one of the interesting things that we do when we're preparing for client appointments is we request pay stubs. I, it's the number one, <laughs> number one frustration, I think. You guys ask for this every time, what do I need to get it to you? And they never look at it. It's because there's so much vital information on there. Right. And, and, just, and, and people say, yeah, but do you ever find anything on a pay stub? Yeah. yeah. As a matter of fact, we do. One of my favorite finds on a pay stub and this is from a, just the sweetest client ever that complains about us asking. And really, the the, the part the, the folks on our team that ask for them complain that they have to ask. The folks that need to provide them <laughs> complain that they have to provide them. No one gets really happy about this. But when this person uh, looked at the pay stub, they said, wait a minute. How come there are 90 days of sick leave on this pay stub. My husband only had 15 days. Whoa, it's a difference. That's a big difference. And so when you look, the because, and the difference is, uh, in this situation, the person whose pay stub was wrong works someplace where those things can be banked up yeah. and they get paid, paid out. out at the end of the career. So there's that there was a huge find there. Now it's it's kind of like digging for buried treasure. You don't always find it, but when you do, it's worth it. Well, one of the other big finds is when find it with a d is when somehow something changed with your withholdings, even though you never changed jobs 
Or maybe you did change jobs and you think, well, I'm filling out my W-4 just like I did the last job and it actually was a little bit different or they're using a different withholding table. That happened with someone very, very close to me and my family and worked for the same company. They changed payroll providers, went from getting three grand back to owing three grand. That was a lot of fun for me to tell them. And this stuff happens all the time by looking at pay stubs. So yes, yes, Brady. So this is the thing. You think you shouldn't have to tell them, look, you're going to go from getting three grand back to owing. And this is why I say, well, Brady, you're thinking, hey, I was getting two grand back, so now I'm getting four grand back. Brady, you got to look at your pay stub. Look at the before and after pay stub because in February, the withholding tables changed. Yeah. And so you may be getting more money and not noticing it. So do proactive tax planning. Let's say it is. And we got to jump to Elaine's question here. But let's say you are getting four grand back. Yeah, I'd change withholdings. Uh, that seems that seems like too much. But sit down with your certified financial planner and talk through what the strategy is there. Elaine from Edwardsburg. Is it taxable if I give each of my kids $10,000? Josh? If you're giving cash, the answer is no. If you are giving stock or some other asset that uh, has grown in value during the time that you owned it, then when they receive it and they cash it in, there could be some tax ramifications. I think the spirit of this question, though, is are gifts that the recipient uh, receives, are, are your kids going to get taxed just because you gave them a gift? And the answer is no. Mm-hmm. Um, gifts are not income on a tax return. The income can come if you're selling an investment for more than it was purchased. That profit or that gain, someone's going to pay tax on that. And if you haven't already done it, Elaine, then your kids may get hit with that tax bill instead. Used to be fourteen thousand dollars a year that you could give anyone and not even need to tell the IRS. Now they up that to fifteen thousand. Uh, there are split gifts and joint gifts and other things that you can do. So there again, if this is if this should be part of your estate planning strategy. And your tax planning strategy. Goodness, work with your certified financial planner. And uh, and it, again, if you don't have one, we'd love to help. Reach out to us, 574-222-2000. That is all the time we have for today, folks. Thank you so much for being with us today. On behalf of Kevin Forhorn, Josh Gregory, and myself, and all of us at KFG, we'll see you next Saturday for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.